Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, take out your Bibles, turn over the Gospel of John chapter 19. Gospel of John chapter 19, beginning with verse 38. We're ending a sermon series called Recovery. We've been talking about during the Lenten season and as we consider the sufferings of Jesus upon the cross, how sometimes we get into the routine of life and we just get complacent. And we need something to help us to recover uh, our faith again and our renewed commitment to God. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning over in John chapter 19 is how do we get to that point of recommitting ourselves to God. So turn over to John chapter 19, beginning with verse 38. As I look out there, I can just tell that most of you were keenly interested in the marriage of Nick Cannon and Mariah Carey. I can just just tell that as I look out that you all seem to be the people that were really interested in that wedding. They got married in 2009. And because they wanted people to know that their love was going to last forever and uh, that they were sincerely committed to each other, every year on their anniversary, they not only held an anniversary celebration, they did a recommitment of their wedding vows. And I mean, these were big deals. One time they rented out Disneyland, the entire park, and they did it in front of Cinderella's castle. And this is Mariah showing up for the recommitment of vows uh, there at Disneyland. The next year, they rented the entire Eiffel Tower and had the tower uh, in, in the color of her wedding and uh, everything and recommitted their vows to one another. They did this for five straight years, these elaborate parties and recommitment of vows. They didn't do it the sixth year, though. You know why they didn't do it the sixth year? Yeah, because they got divorced. That's why, that's why they didn't do it in the sixth year. So spending a lot of money or saying a few words doesn't seem to quite lead to the recommitment that we need. So we're going to look over into our scripture passage and talk about what caused a man in our scripture to recommit himself to Jesus Christ. We begin in John chapter 19 down to verse 38. And the first thing we see is this, the pressure of life can often cause us to lose our connection with God. Look down to verse 38. Now later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, as our scripture begins, the crucifixion for Jesus is over. He's died on the cross, but he's still hanging on the cross. The other two criminals are probably still alive. Uh, the scriptures tell us that Pilate was surprised Jesus had died so soon. And so while he's still on the cross, Joseph goes and asks for the body of Jesus. Now, who is this man, Joseph of Arimathea? The only time in scripture that he's talked about at all is in these stories, in both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, it talks about Joseph, but only in this one story is he ever mentioned. We're told he's from the town of Arimathea. Now, Arimathea was in Judea near Jerusalem, but scholars really have no idea where. The Gospel of Matthew says this about Joseph. We're told he, in Matthew, he was a very wealthy man. He was rich. So you have this rich man who's obviously influential because he not only goes to the Roman governor, the governor immediately sees him. Probably a few people in this room uh, can just go to the governor's mansion and say, hey, I'd like to see the governor. And they say, oh, come on in and see him. You know, so he's obviously a very influential person uh, that's there. So he's rich. He's influential. The Gospel of Mark tells us he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
This would have been the Sanhedrin. Uh, I've got a picture here of what the Sanhedrin may have looked like, uh, that, that Jewish ruling council. It was made up of 70 members throughout the region of Judea in the different areas of Judea. That's why I'm pretty confident that Arimathea was in Judea because he was a part of this ruling council. Uh, so 70 members plus the high priest made up this council. They ran the day-to-day activities of Jerusalem and Judea. They couldn't make really big major decisions. Only the Romans could, but they ran all of the normal stuff and the day-to-day stuff. That's why when this council wanted to put Jesus to death, they had to go to Pilate, the Roman governor, because they didn't have that kind of authority. They could do a lot of things, but they couldn't give the death sentence to somebody. So now what do we know about Joseph from that? We know he was rich. We know he was influential. We know he was a part of the Jewish ruling council and that uh, he was important enough to see the governor just by going to him. So keep reading verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. So what we're told about Joseph is that he was a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't say he believed in Jesus. It doesn't say he admired Jesus. It doesn't say he heard Jesus and liked his teachings. It says he was a disciple of Jesus. Now that's an unusual term to use because a disciple was someone who devoted themselves and committed themselves to the life and teaching and following of rabbi. So we're told he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Because he feared the Jewish leaders. Now, why would he have feared the Jewish leaders? Probably a lot of reasons. The Jewish leaders hated Jesus. They considered Jesus a heretic. They're the ones that had Jesus condemned to death by Pilate because they considered what he was doing was so wrong and they were so jealous and and, and afraid of Jesus. And so they hated Jesus. They, They wanted to kill him. And if they would have known that Joseph was a believer, a disciple of Jesus, it could have heard everything about about Joseph. He could have heard his business. Uh, he wouldn't have been invited to the fancy parties. He could have lost money. He could have been kicked off the council. He would have been uh, laughed at and mocked by the people that he wanted to impress. So Joseph had a lot to lose. So he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. And that's sometimes what happens in our lives is that as life gets so hectic, as things get so busy, as we kind of just put God on the back burner with our everyday life, we become almost secret disciples of Jesus. We basically become practical atheists. Oh, we believe in God. We show up at church every once in a while. If we've got a problem, we'll pray about it. But when it comes to really living our life day to day, when it comes to God being involved in our life and helping direct our lives, when it comes to really knowing and being in relationship with God, our faith has become stale and we somehow have lost that connection to God. So this morning, I would encourage you to look at your life and just ask yourself, where am I in my relationship with God right now? Do I feel like God and I are close? Do I feel like uh, uh, that that my, my faith is growing stronger, that I'm living the way I was supposed to live? If not, what has caused you to lose that? And it can be a lot of things, just day-to-day life. It might be problems that have hit. Uh, It it might be an illness that has come upon you. A lot of things happen that causes our faith to be stretched and cause our lives to be either humdrum when it comes to our faith or just somehow to lose that connection with God. So how do you lose the connection with God in the first place? Uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention has a place called Cedarmore. It's in Baghdad, Kentucky, out in Shelby County. It's out in the middle of nowhere. 
And uh, the one thing that's very hard to get in Cedarmore is cell phone reception. So whenever there's a break in one of the sessions, you'll see everybody go up to the top of this one hill at Cedarmore, take out their cell phones and do this number. They're holding them up in the air on the top of the hill. You've got your phone if you're trying to talk to somebody on, you know, on speaker and you're kind of doing this number, hoping that you can get it. The problem is you've gotten so far away from a cell phone tower, you've lost connectivity. That's what happens out there. What happens in your life with God is that you have somehow gotten away from the source. You've wandered away from God. You've just gone into the daily routine of life. It's all about getting to work and, and your job and, and, uh, and, and just trying to survive the day with all of the issues and problems. And during all of that, you've lost your connection with God. It's not that God has changed. It's that you've wandered away from where God is. And the further away you get from God, the harder it is to get reception with him. And that's exactly what is going on in our scripture passage with Joseph. He believes in Jesus. He more than believes in Jesus. He's a disciple of Jesus. But he's one secretly because he's just afraid he's got too much to lose and he doesn't want to give that kind of uh, uh, attention to his faith. And so he's a disciple secretly. And that brings us to the next thing that we see. When you lose that connection with God, when you've wandered away and that connection has become strained and faint, we often need something to shake us out of our complacency. So what in our scripture shakes Joseph out of his complacency? Look back to verse 38. Now later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus by night. And so here's Joseph. He's a disciple, but secretly. But now he's gone to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. We're told he's accompanied by a man by the name of Nicodemus. And then John reminds us, who's this Nicodemus? This is the Nicodemus from chapter 3 I wrote about earlier. He's the guy who came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus, also a very wealthy man, also a member of the council. And it's pointed out in our scripture, he could have said a lot of things about Nicodemus. This is the guy that the born again passage, this is the God so love the world passage. But what's he say about Nicodemus? He's the guy who came to Jesus at night. Why did Nicodemus come at night? Because he didn't want anybody to know he was talking to Jesus. He had the same fears as Joseph. So both Nicodemus and Joseph are secret disciples because they fear they have too much to lose. So what shook them out of their complacency. It was everything they'd seen in the last two days. They'd seen Jesus, a man they sincerely believed to be a prophet, taken and unjustly accused, laughed at and mocked, tortured terribly, and put to death on the cross, while the religious leaders they admired laughed at him and spit at him. And suddenly they said, enough's enough. We should have stood up a long time ago. We should have let it known how we felt. But you know, now it may be too late to do something, but we're not going to live this kind of life anymore. We're not going to be afraid of standing up for what we believe. And so at the risk of losing everything, their position, their place on the council, they go boldly before Pilate and they say, we want to bury the body of Jesus. Knowing as soon as they're given the body, everybody's going to know about it. And everything they're going to be afraid of is now going to come to pass. They don't care anymore because they have been so shocked at what they've seen and so pulled back to reality at what happened to Jesus that now they have been shocked into doing something and standing up for what they believed all along. 
Often what happens is when we get in a very uh, uh, complacent place with God, when our life becomes humdrum, often what happens is we have to be pulled back and somehow shocked back into where we were. Sometimes that happens uh, because we hit rock bottom. Not Most people don't ever get to the point of hitting rock bottom, but I've seen people that hit rock bottom and were shocked back into it. I had a friend from high school that woke up one morning in a park in Nashville, Tennessee with his face down in the mud with a hangover and had no idea how he got to Nashville or what he was doing in the park. And as he laid there in the mud uh, trying to get his senses, he said to himself, I think there's something wrong with the way I'm living my life right now. And so he was kind of shocked into that. Uh, I had a girl one time come by the office at another church and she walked in and she said, can you go to the drugstore with me? Not something that most teenage girls come in and ask me, you know, if I'll go to the drugstore with them. But I said, sure. I, you know, so we walked across to, uh, to a drugstore. She got a pregnancy kit, uh, came back, took the pregnancy test, came in and said, I'm not pregnant, but man, I need to sit down and talk to you because my life's a mess right now. And so sometimes we hit rock bottom and we're shocked to being pulled back. But sometimes it's not that you need to hit rock bottom and be shocked. Sometimes you just need to be made aware. Sometimes your life's just become humdrum. It, maybe you're not the living, you know, this terrible life or something, but you've just kind of lost a sense of what's important. You're no longer standing up for things you used to believe. Things you used to do have just kind of fallen by the wayside. And sometimes you just need to be woke up a little bit. You just need somebody to remind you. Maybe it's a sermon like this to say, hey, you know, you need to break out and do a little bit better. Uh, You need to look at your life and how you're leading it. But we need something to pull us back where we need to be. For Joseph and Nicodemus, the death of Jesus shocked them into looking at their life and no longer being secret disciples. There's an interesting picture in the paper this week, probably most of you saw, uh, uh, something they just found in, in some of the the German archives, uh, when German soldiers were being led out of the prisoner of war camps and being sent home after World War II, one thing they did to all of the soldiers was they made them watch a film of everything that was going on that happened in the concentration camps. And these are the German soldiers, the first time they saw what actually was going on in the concentration camps and realizing what had been happening in their own country. Sometimes we have to be shocked to get back to where we need to be. So what have we seen so far in our scripture? Life can sometimes just cause us to lose focus on what's important as we just try to get through the day and something needs to shake us up and get us back where we need to be. So when that happens and you recommit yourself to God, it will always lead to a radical change in your behavior. What we talked about Nick and Mariah earlier in their wedding. You see, what they were doing was cosmetic. But when you look at God and you say, hey, you know what, I need to really get back to where I was. I need to recommit myself. That recommitment is going to cause some some changes in your life. And I want to talk about four changes that recommitment to God should cause in your life as you come back to him. So let's look at them. The first change it should cause is it should give you a new boldness. It should give you a new bonus. When you sincerely recommit to God, it should give your life when it comes to your faith a renewed boldness. So in verse 38, again, we're told, now he went and asked for Pilate the body of Jesus, and then he was accompanied by Nicodemus, who earlier had visited him at night. The change that took place in them when they were shocked by what happened gave them boldness. With boldness, they go before the Roman governor and say, we want to take the dead body off the cross. Now, who's at the cross? Every one of the religious leaders they're afraid of. 
They were all there laughing and mocking Jesus. And now they're so happy that Jesus is dead. And in front of every one of the people they're afraid of, they're now going to go take the body down and go away with it, knowing that everyone's going to see it. And they don't care anymore. It gave them a new boldness. And when you recommit to God, it will give yourself a new boldness. Instead of just going through the motions, your life will suddenly be raised to a different and a higher level. Now, what do I mean by boldness? Let me tell you what I don't mean, first of all. What I don't mean by boldness is that you buy a big Bible and walk down the street and go, Sinner, get right with God. That's not what I mean by boldness. Okay. When I was in college, we used to have this, uh, this, this, uh, man and, and woman come by once a year, uh, to our college campus and they would yell at everybody that they were going to hell when they would walk by, you know, and they go, you know, you, you're going to hell, you know, and then, and, and then people would laugh and mock them and they'd throw pennies at them and tell them pennies from heaven. And they goes, sinner, sinner, there's no hope for you. You'll die. And, you know, and, and somehow I just didn't feel when I was on campus that day that they were leading a lot of people to the Lord. You know, I, I didn't know. That's not what I mean by boldness. What I mean by boldness is that what God is going to do in your life when you recommit to him is you're going to start living the way you were supposed to live all the time, not caring about other things. It, it, maybe it means you're going to forgive somebody that you haven't been forgiven. You know what? You, you've, you've held a grudge. You've been angry at him. And the boldness you're going to receive is I'm going to suck it up and realize that Jesus forgave me and I'm going to forgive them even if they don't deserve it. That takes some boldness. Maybe it means I'm going to leave my normal day activities and I'm going to help somebody else that needs help. And I'm going to live with some boldness. Maybe it means that some things that you should be doing, you're going to start doing or things you shouldn't be doing, you're going to stop doing. But it's going to give you boldness to live the way that you were supposed to live. So one of the very first things that we're going to see is boldness when we recommit ourselves to Jesus. I want to show you a picture. Pretty little girl here by the name of Lily. Lily is 12 years old, lives in uh, Tehran, Iran. And uh, from the day she was born, Lily was taught to live with boldness. One of the first things her parents told her is your entire life, Lily, you're going to be hated. Everybody's going to do everything they can to hurt you. And uh, it's all because you're going to believe in Jesus. Her dad was arrested and put in prison uh, because he was leading a Bible study with two other couples in their apartment complex he was put in prison. A month later, her mother was put in prison because she continued the Bible study after her husband was arrested. And when her mom came home uh, after several months in prison, and she said, man, Lily, it's so good to see you. You know, I missed you so much. And Lily said, mom, I prayed for you every day. And she said, thank you. And she said, mom, what I prayed for was that you would have boldness to stand for Jesus. And then mom, I prayed that I would have boldness for the day they put me in prison. That's a 12-year-old girl. If a 12-year-old girl has that kind of boldness in the face of persecution, how come we can't even get up on Sunday morning to come to church because it's inconvenient? Do you see the disconnect that we have there sometimes? Recommitting to God will give us a boldness to live the way that we should live. A second thing that recommitting to God will do is it will give you a different set of priorities. It'll give you a different set of priorities. One of the things that happens in complacency is that we just lose focus on what's really important. 
You know, we're just trying to get through the day. Man, I'm tired. I go from school or work to, to home and I just want to get some supper and veg on the couch and watch the ball game or home and garden television, depending on if Dawn and I get the TV first. And, uh, uh, you know, and so, you know, you, you're going through all of this and you just want to get through the day and somehow you lose focus on what's important. Look down in our scripture to verse 39. We're told he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Jesus, or Nicodemus uh, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds worth. And uh, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. So here are Nicodemus and Joseph, both secret disciples and, and afraid of losing money and influence. And now Nicodemus comes with 75 pounds of spices. Do you know how much money 75 pounds of spices would have cost? It would have been a fortune. But what's changed in Nicodemus? He's no longer afraid of someone finding out he's a follower of Jesus. He's now lavishly wanting to embalm the body of Jesus with these expensive ointments and spices because he cares for him so much. He has now a different set of priorities. Like life looks different to him now. And that's one of the things that will happen. Suddenly it'll give you a different set of priorities when you recommit to God. Now we've talked a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, the priorities we need to have are loving God and loving people. If you got that, you've got everything. Okay. And so it's going to lead you back to, okay, I, I don't want to just come to church every once in a while. I want to be in a relationship with God and know God. And that becomes a priority again to you. I want my priority to really be loving and caring and helping people. And as that begins to change, everything happens. There was a, a guy up in Michigan by the name of Steve. And Steve uh, had been to church the week before. And the pastor said, God will give you uh, divine encounters where he's going to want you to help somebody. Don't pass it up this week. Steve was tired. He's a construction worker. was on his way home. Had worked overtime. He was driving down the street and he saw a couple that was sitting in their yard in the grass crying. And he thought that was weird. And he went by. Now, what had happened is Don and, and Linda uh, Lemon had, uh, Don had had his leg amputated. He was on his way home and his wife wasn't strong enough to get him up the steps and into the house. So he said, I can walk, I can do it. He got out, tried to get up the steps, had fallen on the first step and said, I just don't have the energy. And the two of them were sitting in the grass crying uh, when Steve drove by. Well, Steve drove by, all he saw these two peoples out in the grass crying. He thinks about it all the way home. What's going on there? Now his priorities are what? I'm tired, I wanna get home, get some supper and, and uh, veg on the couch. He pulls into his driveway and the sermon keeps working in his mind. God's going to give you opportunities to help in somebody's life today. So he puts the car in reverse. He drives back. He says, hey, something going on here. And they tell him, you know, we can't get in the house. He gets him in the house. He gets all their stuff in the house. He goes home. Now, Steve was a construction worker. The next day, instead of going to work, he has a group of men at his, web, at his uh, work site come to the Lemons home. And they build a handicap ramp. Uh, for Don and Linda Lemon. And he said it was all because God kept telling him, you need to do something here. You see, that's a different set of priorities. The complacent run-of-the-mill priority was to get home and get supper and, and to veg on the couch. 
But when you recommit to God, life looks different and priorities look different. That brings us to the third thing. So boldness, different set of priority. And the third thing is it's going to give you a renewed call to service. A renewed call to service that you'll see there. Look at verse 41 in our scripture. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so now their renewed call to service is we're going to take the body of Jesus. We're going to bury the body of Jesus. We're going to do the things we should have been doing all the time. So they've had a renewed call to service here. Got a picture here of the the traditional site of the garden tomb in Jerusalem. Uh, Don't know if this is the actual site or not. It's just traditional. Uh, But this will show you what it would have looked like. Uh, Just a a, a tomb hollowed out of of, uh, the rock wall. Uh, that, that was there. And probably if that is the place, they didn't have the flowers and the planters like that. But, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So, so they take Jesus, they put him in this tomb. They're now doing the things they should have been doing all the time. One of the things recommitment to God will do is it will give you renewed service. You'll get back to doing the things you should have been doing. Maybe you're not reading the Bible the way you should have been. You were reading the Bible every day and and keeping up with God and having a good prayer time. And then it went down to three or four days a week. And and, uh, now it's if if I read something to you on Sunday morning, you hear the Bible or something like that. Uh, You know, if somebody has a bumper sticker, you'll see the Bible, you know, and you just need to get back to some to that thing you were doing that you need to be doing all along. It's going to renew service to you. And it all comes from when you recommit to God yourself. Probably most people here have flown on an airplane. And when you fly on an airplane, they go through all those emergency instructions so you'll know what to do if something happens. Uh, and everybody reads their magazine and sleeps so in case there's an emergency, you'll have no idea what to do and everything. But one of the things they always tell you is, in case of a loss of cabin pressure, the oxygen mask will come down. And then they say, parents, what were parents supposed to do? Put your mask on first. I drew this last night, by the way. Put your mask on first. Yeah, ignore that Ian Colt drew it down there. I, I, don't, you know, I don't know who he is. But, uh, but anyway, put your mask on first, and then you can help the person next to you. What we're talking about in our scripture is you can't be the help you were supposed to be in this world for other people if something hasn't first happened in your life. You've got to help yourself before you can help somebody else. And that's why recommitment is so important. If your life has become humdrum, if you're going through the motions, if you're not praying, reading your Bible, if you're not coming to church, if you're not doing the things you know you were supposed to be doing, you can't be the help in the world you were supposed to be till you start getting yourself straight. But when you recommit to God and you start doing that, then you're going to see that everything else will fall into place. And you'll start being a benefit to both God and to the people around you because of that recommitment to service. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. So boldness, a recommitment to service, uh, and a different set of priorities. And then the last thing that recommitting to God will do for us is he'll give us a richer devotion. A richer devotion. Look down to verse 42. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, this is some pretty extraordinary circumstances. Uh, you have two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, that are basically putting their, their, their reputation, their business on the line to go get the body of Jesus. 
And when they do, they decide we're going to lay him in this tomb that's near the garden. We're going to get the tomb for him, uh, spend whatever it costs and all of that, because we need to do it somewhere close because it's the Jewish day of preparation. All that means is that the Sabbath starts at sundown for a good Jew. And if the Sabbath starts at sundown, when sundown hits, you can't do any more work. The Sabbath day has begun. And so they said, okay, we've got to get him somewhere near because when when it gets sundown, we've got to quit whatever we're doing. Now, you would have thought they could have pulled out the extraordinary circumstance clause. That they would have said, hey, you know, this is, this is a big deal here. Uh, Jesus has just died. We need, to, we need to anoint the body with spices. We need to get him where he needs to be. We've just put our whole lives and reputations on the line. So God can, God will be okay if we miss that a little bit, you know, the, the, the time of the, of the preparation. But that's not what's in their mind. If you recommit to God, then you've recommitted to God. And that means all that God was saying. So they're going to follow the, 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 the Sabbath law as closely as they can, which was one of the reasons why they're putting Jesus in this tomb. It led them to a renewed devotion to God. And think about this for a second. Do you think that Sabbath that they spent, uh, that started at sundown that night, do you think that Sabbath was a little bit different for them than the one the week before? The week before when they were secret disciples and going through the motions and now they put their life on the line and their reputations on the line. They've just taken Jesus and put him in that tomb in front of all the religious leaders. Do you think that Sabbath day was any different than the one before? I guarantee you their recommitment led to a renewed devotion when that Sabbath day began. It changed everything about what was going on. And that will happen in your life as you recommit to God and you begin to see, hey, you know what? I mess up all the time. And God loves me so much, he sent Jesus to suffer and die for my sins that I might be forgiven and saved and brought into relationship with him and go to heaven. And when you really begin to think all those sufferings that Jesus went through were for my sins, and you really look at it and make that commitment, it's going to give you a renewed devotion to worshiping God and being with God the way that you should. There's a young lady by the name of Christian Hagland, and when Christian was 14 years old, she was a very talented uh, dancer and singer. And uh, she always told her mom, I'm going to get in beauty contests and win Miss America. And her mom said, well, great. You know, that's nice, honey. And uh, uh, Christian got into dance and she was very tall for her age. And because she was tall, they didn't have any costumes that fit her for the girls her age. And so the other girls made fun of Kristen. And so she began to have some problems with her image and uh, began to say, I've got to lose weight to get into the costumes. Well, she's too tall to get in the costumes in the first place. And so she starts trying to lose all of this weight. She goes into bulimia. She goes into anorexia. It gets so bad that for a year, her family sent her to a clinic in Arizona uh, to work on her eating disorders. And she's 16 years old uh, that, while, while she's there. While she's there, one of the nurses... Uh, says, honey, are you a Christian? And she said, well, I mean, I believe in God. My family goes to church at Easter and Christmas and whatever else we have to, you know. And she said, well, have you ever read the Bible? And she said, well, I mean, you know, if I see a bumper sticker or something, I read it, you know, while it's on there. And they, she said, well, here's a Bible, start reading the Psalms. And she said she couldn't believe the Psalms, how real they were, uh, how raw they were. It just felt like her own thoughts and, and prayers were in there. And then she began to read how much God loves you, regardless of who you are or what you do or what you look like. And she began to recommit herself to God. I'm talking about a 16-year-old girl now. And just say, God, help me to love me the way that you love me. 
And uh, so she went home to her mom and dad when she got out, and they said, well, you know, what can we do? And she said, I want a pizza. And so they go get her a pizza. She ate the entire pizza herself, you know. Uh, in just a couple of months, she'd regained 20 pounds uh, over what was going on in her life. And she told her mom, you know, I think I want to get into the, uh, the county beauty pageant. And her mom said, honey, don't do that. That's what started all this stuff to begin with. And she said, yeah, but I'm not worried about all that anymore. It was something I said I wanted to do for myself. Now I just want to do it for God, and I could care less how, how I look or feel. And, and you know what? I've gained 20 pounds, and that's fine. I just want to, I just want to do this to, to let, to, to, as, as, a, as a memorial to God. Well, she got in, and she won her county beauty contest. And so she was invited to the Miss Michigan contest. And her mom said, honey, please don't go to Miss Michigan. She goes, well, I'm not, you know, I just, you know, I, it's not about me. Uh, God gave me this opportunity. I just want people to know. So she went to Miss Michigan and she won the Miss Michigan contest. So she went on to Miss America. And uh, her mom said, oh, honey, don't do it. She said, no, mom, I, I want to do it. I don't know what opportunities God's given me I am. Well, there was an article written uh, in, in, uh, in the paper about all the food that's brought in for Miss America and how nobody would eat it. It said, except one girl. They said she ate everything that was brought in and everybody else's food too. Her name was Kristen Hagland. At the end of the Miss America contest, Kristen Hagland was named Miss America. And not only that, the girl who had gained so much weight, she didn't care how she looked anymore, won the swimsuit competition at every level the first time that had ever been done in the Miss America pageant. She immediately said, okay, God's got something for me here. And so what she does today is travel around the country and tell people what God has done in her life after she committed herself to him. You see, it all starts with a recommitment. What's going to take you to break out of your slumber? Because for most of it in the room right now, it's not that we're really bad people. And it's not that we're doing terrible things. We've just got our priorities messed up a little bit. And we've got them messed up because life is just overwhelming and we get tired and we just go through the motions. And sometimes we forget who we are and what's been done for us. And I hope that during this Lenten season, you've been reminded of how much God loves you, of what he has done for you, and that will cause you to look at your life and to live it in a different way. Because the truth of the matter is, until we understand the sufferings of Jesus, you'll never rejoice in the resurrection. It's only when you understand what Jesus has done for you that when that resurrection day comes, you celebrate it with true joy and true meaning. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you suffered and gave yourself for us. Father, help us to break out of the complacency we sometimes have and to recommit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. 
We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word. Thank you.